this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Welcome to the Tribe of Two, the officially unofficial podcast for The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 7, titled Chapter 15, The Believer. Uh, Aaron, what do you think of this episode? I really like this episode. I think there's a couple of... I can't tell whether they're just mistakes or they're actually things that they're going to build on future plots going forward. Um, and there's a couple things I thought were shaky when we're transitioning from action scene to action she- scene, like... How far is Stormtrooper armor going to fall? Like, this stuff is, yeah. is you know, if it was made of styrofoam, it would actually be more effective. Because mm-hmm. I don't think in any universe, Cara Dune can go and just double hammer guys into, like, I, I even not wearing a helmet, I'm not sure, slamming my head into a steering wheel once is going to take me out. If I'm wearing a helmet, goddamn, if anything, I should protect me from that kind of head trauma. But yeah, uh, otherwise, this show what's hates Stormtroopers. This no, show I, hates stormtroopers and stormtrooper <laughs> armor, and other than that, I thought it was it was pretty cool. It does, yeah. Like I, the 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 mythos around stormtroopers at this point is so weird, and like I, you know, I thought it was like weird. Okay, well, they can't even take a blaster shot, uh, you know, in the original series and stuff. What's what's the point of the armor? And then Boba Fett comes in and blasts a few of them with a Durfy stick, and then you're like, okay, well, it can't take a shot from a weapon, but it's got a spike, and maybe there's some ceramic shit that, I don't know what's going on here, but then it can't even take a punch. It can't even take a punch. What's the point of wearing armor that can't take a punch? And apparently you can't, this is something that, like, I always thought that, like, Luke Skywalker not being able to see out of Stormtrooper armor is more of, like, it doesn't fit him. Mm. Because if you can't see out of a helmet, then what the shit? Yeah, like, it's, this is, this is some, this is some nutso stuff, man. But, yeah, uh, Fellini and Favre think it's funny that Stormtroopers are essentially uh, buffoons clad in toilet paper. Uh, yeah. So, you got, you're gonna have to roll with that when it comes to the Mando. But, just, uh, just take it off. Just take it off. It's not providing any protection. Take it off if it's impairing your vision. Get rid of it. Yeah, go into combat naked. That's yes. really strike, strike fear in the hearts of the, the Empire's enemies. At it's least... Full-on naked stormtroopers. Then you could lift your kilt at them, but you can't do anything yeah. here. Yeah, but there's also a lot of subtle jokes. Like I really like Fett's ops. Like when everyone's talking about who could go in incognito, and everyone's got their problems, and Fett's like, "Let's just say they might recognize my face." I, I thought that was like that's yeah. that's peak Star Wars humor right there. Like, yeah, there's enough old Clone Wars veterans kicking around, and everybody kind of remember like that. Yeah, you can't. He can't. <laughs> yeah, he's some, perhaps the most famous stormtrooper face in in the galaxy. So. Uh, for sure I, I like that stuff a lot and I even like the uh, you know the joke of him like ah, I'm taking this helmet off I can't see anything out of it because we we see like a POV of Mando in the helmet last episode when he's looking around this mm. rock that he's trying to put baby Yoda on to meditate and right he can't see anything. his field of view is trash uh, he's got like a, a four degree field of view here out of this helmet it's not good so and yeah, of course the call back to you know the Luke Skywalker stuff but uh, yeah, I, I didn't hate this episode. Um, I think it's doing some interesting things uh, with the messy part 
of being a Mandalorian and being a rebel and being an Imperial, right? Like they have kind of all sides of that. And I thought the, the Mayfeld turn in this episode was actually pretty good for as thin as it is, like as much as you can do in a 38 minute episode, including credits and recap. Yeah. They did a pretty good job conveying like, okay, not everything, even on the Imperial side is like gung ho there. There are some, you know, uh, controversies. Yeah. I just thought is the most unrealistic is when Bill Barr took down the whole base with just 15 minutes of stand up comedy, took on the whole, you piece of shit, one bridge having refinery. You got <laughs> just like just just completely took on the whole fucking planet. And uh, for 15 minutes, they didn't know what to do. Um, if you don't know, what I'm referring to the Bill Barr legendarily took on the entire city of Philadelphia in a comedy <laughs> comedy special gone bad. The Attorney and, uh, General of the United <laughs> States took on the entire city of Philadelphia. Bill so. Barr, yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, uh, yeah. So there are parts of this enjo- that I enjoyed. The action he's scene. Taking on more, he's taking on bigger cities and like, come on, Bill Barr. So he's taking on a lot bigger cities than just Philadelphia. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I will say the action scenes in this are a little like meh. I don't know. It, it it doesn't compare to like Boba Fett flying up in jetpacks, right? And and the, it's almost some of the like a, it's ones. almost like a. I thought they played as comedy, kind of like yeah. a, some of the way that like the Indiana Jones fights are, like the the Mandalorian like visibly like sighing, like God, I got to do this again, or you know, not having you know, seen him fight without his all of his gadgets and armor and still being a badass was cool, but it was more of kind of like a joke of. Yeah. You know, never ending waves of enemies. It felt like a video game, you know, like yeah. you have to get to the thing and the waves are going to come faster and faster and more and more until you get to the checkpoint. And then the game auto wins with the strafing stormtroopers and TIE fighters. But uh, they weren't designed, I think, to be the most exciting things in the world. Well, that's the thing. The the action scenes on the train or on the transport that they're driving uh, these juggernauts mm-hmm. is actually cooler than the stuff they do at the base and i was thinking like the base they have to shoot oh. their way out and i'm like it, it just oh, it just happens so fast it's like they shoot a few guys oh. they walk out the window boba fett picks them up and done i'm like see i, I thought they were I, gonna I have to that shoot was their the way exciting out one i thought that was the exciting the combined fire the 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 ladies do in overwatch with sniper rifles uh climbing out the window doing Certainly the hair fugitive dance on the dam i know uh <laughs> immediately thought that know, too Boba Fett doing the, you know, dropping the sonic whammers. Uh, I, I thought that stuff was cool. Yeah. I thought the stuff on the train was a little pedestrian because it was just essentially hand to hand combat, uh, green screen hand to hand combat. Um, yeah, I was just know, disappointed at, at how easily they get out of that, what should be like the stickiest of situations. They're in an imperial right, right. base and they, this guy hauls off and shoots one of their officers. Yeah, they, that should be. Much harder thing to escape from, but they go out a window, climb one floor, and they're out. I don't know. It was the plan. Well, not to shoot <laughs> yeah, the way out, but like, yeah. yeah, just getting out and onto the roof. That was the that was the whole plan, for sure. Uh, so maybe we should get into the recap. But before we do, who is the believer? <sighs> That's a good question. My feeling coming out of the episode is that Mando is the believer, and this is a bit of a like. Not completely ironic, but like the the title is meant to point out that the believer is something that is not altogether good. Um, 
you know, with as much as they do with Bill Burr's, um, Mayfeld's, like, oh, things get messy and you start bending the rules. And how in this episode he's forced to just straight up break one of his rules, taking his helmet off. You know, he starts by bending it and then he eventually breaks it in order to accomplish this mission. That, to me, was like the ironic part of the believer. Hmm. I think I I think I I interpret it kind of the in in the the Mayfield character like rekindling some kind of belief in something like you know he's a very okay. Han Soloish character and you know Han Solo and very very much in a New Hope didn't give a shit about anything except for making money keeping himself out of the carbonite block and then he got sucked into the idealism you know because he's mm-hmm. essentially a good guy and he didn't think good guys were left in the galaxy and then he runs into the crew with them. I kind of thought, but but you're you're right. The the Mandalorian trying to figure out figure out what he believes in, like what does fundamentally make him different from Mayfield. What yeah. is special about his code of honor? Is his code of honor special, or is him his own sense of morality and what he does with it is what makes him special? And uh, is that, it hearing is it hearing to any broad ideology like this uh, an inherently bad thing? You know, like the believer implies a sort of blind faith as well. You're right. You're right. Um, and I think that's what a, it, he's getting at, right? Yeah, the title wasn't Truster in Well-Found Evidential Arguments and Logical <laughs> Constructs. You know, that's a believer is, yeah, you're right, Santa Claus. You believe in Santa Claus. Uh, you don't prove him. You believe in him. Uh, yeah. That's a, yeah. that's a good take, yeah. Uh, so that was my take, but I, I like yours as well. Um, makes a lot of sense by the end of this episode. Here's what's new in premium content for our club members. Badass Fest 6 is just around the corner. Do you have your tickets yet? We promise you don't want to miss our secret badass movie and ensuing podcast. Festivities happen live at 7 p.m. on June 21st in Cincinnati, Ohio. Get your tickets now at baldmove.com slash live. Back to our regularly scheduled broadcast time for lunch with Jim and Aaron this week. That's right. I'm back from Wonderfest. No doubt with lots of model talk. Catch the live stream at 1 p.m. or check out the podcast later that evening. And finally, if you're a Patreon Club subscriber, you should know that you need to change your selected tier. Whether you want to downgrade to save some money or upgrade to keep your current features and get access to a whole new set. All the details of the changes are outlined in a post on our Patreon page, so head over to patreon.com slash baldmove right now and give it a look so you don't lose access to all the premium content. If you want more bald move in your life head over to support.baldmove.com to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content plus ad free feeds okay we start off this episode with cara dune using her new status as marshall to get mayfeld out of his labor camp and they tell him the situation and what they need from him, the coordinates for Moff Gideon's ship. Uh, he's going to need an a- to access an imperial, an internal imperial terminal, which is a mouthful on Morak in order to do that. Uh, so they fly there. Uh, I thought the penal planet, what do you think of the design? I thought it was really cool. I, I just love seeing all these scrap junked tie fighters like all these cockpits yeah. that are so recognizable half, half torn apart uh ad at walkers and then ad at walkers being repurposed to cranes which i think they might have just reused the model from the ocean planet a couple back uh yeah I that, it is weird because they are going they are leaning real hard in the new republic kind of being dystopian like 
An enlightened yeah. civilization doesn't sentence 50 people to 50 years of hard labor. Like that's yeah. something we're kind of figure out in the 21st century is like, isn't this just slavery with extra steps? You got someone confined. It's supposed to be a rehabilitative justice, but we're going to squeeze slave labor out of them. Like that's kind of gross. So yeah, that's been a subtext in, in Star Wars for a long time. Uh, but now they're kind of making a text like the new Republic, at least the one trying to rebuild after the galaxies in flames is not not necessarily the enlightened. And maybe the Republic never was because the Republic allowed the outer rims to kind of do what they wanted and have human slaves and that kind of stuff. Like it, it, it really kind of pl- fucks with your idea of what the good guys are. Um, and does yeah. it, it's, it's honestly impressively moral gray area for like, what's essentially a kid show. Um, yeah, that's the stuff I, I liked cool. about this episode. Um, and, and you know, the, the, the Imperial officer, uh, Hess also, talks a little bit about that right um how the right. Re- the new republic is sort of or the the forming new republic is in disarray and they are re the empire is rebuilding i i don't know this is all from his perspective so you have to take it with a grain of salt like that might be how right. he sees it um he seems like a real piece of shit even by imperial commander standards but then we know we know what you know, a few years from now is going to look like courtesy of the movies. Right. And it's not right. exactly New Republic ruling the galaxy uh, mm. and peace, peace among uh, all peoples. So which is fairly I mean, that's the thing, like most revolutions do end in chaos and disarray and some kind of authoritarian regime. So, yeah, uh, you got to kind of be careful what you wish for. Are you surprised slash impressed that Boba Fett touched up his paint before in between missions? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what technology he has that allowed him to clean this armor up so well, but holy moly, he looks good. Yeah. Better than he ever like he looked be- in, in Return of the Jedi. Oh, yeah. It looked like he just opened up the Kinner package, man. Yeah. This is like uh, <laughs> some 45-year-old sweaty nerds had the had the in-the-box bo- bo- uh, prototype f- Boba Fat uh, ready to go. <laughs> yeah, looks good. Uh, there was also a different version of the theme in this episode the theme song which i liked it was a little more upbeat a little more uh mm-hmm. a little stronger it did felt good well i also really liked the idea that like i was really like what the fuck do you need the imperial sharpshooter for well it's because he's got the codes and clearances do you believe that those things are still active like six years later i don't know but it's a pretty yeah, i mean you know this stuff, uh, better better shows and movies than The Mandalorian have have done similar kind of schemes. So I thought it was I thought it was fine. Yeah, um, no also problem. really love seeing the inside of the you know because you always know that like Slave One's got this weird rotating configuration of landing and flying and all that kind of stuff, and seeing that like the the interior of it all rotate just like the incredible cross section showed us like twenty years ago. I, uh-huh. I thought that was pretty gratifying to see all that work. I thought it was, it was cool the interior. Yeah, it's like the the Star Wars equivalent of a crash couch from The Expanse, right? <laughs> yeah. And now that we talked about that, since we talked about that volume last week, I feel like I see that everywhere. That was clearly the volume set, that the huh. that the platform and their seats and everything was physical, but you, I could just tell that that was that volume uh, LED-generated background kind of rotating with them. Um, nifty effect, though. Nice. So they get to Morak and it is heavily protected. Uh, none of them can go inside because they'll all be scanned and recognized for one reason or another, uh, except for Mando, who says, I'm going to go in. You're not going in without me, but he won't be showing his face somehow. And the somehow is they attack one of these transports. They take the armor and helmets from the drivers uh, and 
we'll get to the rest of it. Um, I did like the the debate about who's going to go because Kara Dune's like, yeah, I'll go. And he's like, well, if they see your bio scan, they might. I'm like, what about her fucking rebel teardrop tattoo? <laughs> you think that might be a problem sneaking into an Imperial base? You think they got to do a DNA scan or do you think that's just my going to give her away? You uh-huh. know, like, <laughs> come on, man. Fair. Uh, think. And then, and then, like I said, Fett's Boba like, uh, let's just say they might recognize my face. I do. Hilarious. I do uh, a lot of um, kind of like Star Wars lore that people might not be familiar with. Uh, this uh, Rhydonium is an explosive compound that was introduced in like many other concepts in the show. The Clone Wars and Rebels, it's described as a very unstable, like explosive compound. It's supposed to look like liquid metal or like liquid chrome. Um, yeah. We never see it out of its tanks, but uh, you can clearly see how explosive it was. It, it sets um, up the other- an opposite of speed action scene here. Like we can't go above a certain mile per hour, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these little tin wheel vehicles are based on uh, this this juggernaut concept. So back in Empire Strikes Back, Lucas wanted this big you know battle between the rebels and the Imperials, and he you know con- he commissioned a whole bunch of people to do concept art. And it's not Ralph McQuarrie, but Joe Johnson, one of the other you know, great granddaddies of Star Wars look and feel designed these things as an alternative to Adat Walker. Um, George Lucas went with those and these things only existed. And like, I remember them being listed in like the, uh, like as an, an old Clone Wars era technology in the old Westin uh, role-playing games in the late eighties and early nineties. And then when they came out the Clone Wars, George Lucas decided, Oh yeah, let's bring these back. These don't look exactly like, and I, I looked it up on Wikipedia. There's like, eight different variants of the juggernaut because every time they bring him into the clone wars or the rebels, like they don't get the model exactly right. And you got to have a separate Wikipedia entry. These yeah. apparently are very lightly armed, uh, transport versions of those ju- juggernauts. Uh, they're based on this early concept art. Um, but I thought, uh, they, they're, they're cool. My son's got a juggernaut model from the clone wars as a Lego, Hmm. Uh, that uh, he put together a couple years ago. It's pretty pretty cool, and it looked it looked it's a neat looking model in in motion. Uh, I found out that the Rhydonium was in in the Clone Wars. It was used as a um, as a weapon to try and kill to try and blow up a conference between like a bunch of Jedi and New Republic leaders, um, or or old Republic leaders. Yeah, that'd probably be right. Uh, so it was. You know, it featured pretty heavily uh, in an episode called Point of No Return. At least that's what I found in my research because I've not seen that. But if you want to check out Rhydonium, there you go. They also have a nice like introduction to like the idea that uh, Mayfield might not be entirely over his Imperial sympathies because, you know, there's this question about, you seem to know a lot about the how the Imperial remnant operates. Um, of course, you know, by the end, all all's, all's well that ends well. But I, I like that injection of like, you know, is this guy, um, where's the sympathy is going to lie, you know? I mean, they they expected him to know a lot about Imperial operations, right? That's why they brought him. I, I don't. But the remnant? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I don't like, know why you know, that remark made it into the script because of course he does. Of course. That's, it, it is weird that he'd be this current. He knows where the secret bases are and he knows that the Imperials would be run, the, the remnant would be run by XISB. You know, maybe he's just keeping his hand in it. Yeah, the, but it, know, it's, the, it, I don't know. It's like going and, and putting the team together and then questioning when, when fucking 
Don Cheadle knows too much about pinches. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> you seem to know yeah. a lot about pinches, Mr. Yeah. Cheadle. Yeah, yeah. You might you might be a bank robber, you know, ba- basher. What the hell? I thought right. you were... Basher, yeah. that's yeah. his name. Uh, yeah, so they, like you said, find out that they're, they're towing some dangerous cargo here. They pass some people in a small settlement, and Mayfeld tries to draw some common ground with Mando or, like, dig into his belief system here uh, about how he's, like, redefining some of his rules now that things are getting messy. And then they see two of the other transports destroyed, uh, and then pirates pull up behind them and start jumping onto their vehicle. So Mando gets out and fights off several waves of them uh, as they try and blow up the Redonium in their cargo hold. I thought the setup of this action scene didn't make much sense because they describe these people as pirates. Uh-huh. But why do pirates just want to blow up the cargo? They're they're not pirating like, anything. They're and. It, yeah. it, it made more sense if it was some kind of resistance from the village or if it was like a crack. I thought it'd be interesting if it was going to like a crack Republic uh, uh, rebel com- commando team. Yes, that would be great. Which would, would cause a lot more moral ambiguity about like, what do you got to do about the situation? But they're like, oh, it's pirates. That's a that's a, a amoral outfit. Um, but they also like they do piracy. They don't do suicide material denies it's much more like a like a uh, a rebel slash terrorist attack depending on whether you know your sympathies lives the empire or the rebels um so it's like one of those things where it's like that's what i meant by messy like yeah. you know in a in a show that actually took some of this stuff the geopolitical stuff more serious that would have a better explanation but this show it's like fucking pirates so but taste they- them all blow them up it doesn't <laughs> matter you can crunch them you can run over them with tin wheels it doesn't matter they don't yeah. need to have a coherent objective or mission, you know, that they have to complete. They're just there to blow shit up and cause chaos. But it seems like an easy and superior change to just, like you said, put them as rebels because the, then then you lean right into the questions um, about this. And it seems like later when, because they're about to get saved, right? TIE fighters fly in in this, episode, in this scene and save their ass from the pirates who are overwhelming in number. Um, they make it back to the base and they're given a hero's welcome at the base. And you Mm -hmm. have to like look at that and say, okay, are they trying to do something where the TIE fighters saving Mando and these people all saluting him and getting the hero's welcome on the Imperial side is equivalent. And there is just as many, you know, innocents for lack of a better word on the Imperial side who are just doing their jobs, don't know any better, have bought into an ideology that, you know, that they didn't come to, you know, through any thought of their own, um, you, you know, both both sides of this are having uh, problems, right? And they're being yeah. killed by the other side. And you could tie that in so nicely yeah. in an episode where they're clearly trying to do that. Why not make it a little more well, obvious? If this was less YA, you could do that kind of, but like you got a problem with the, Mandal- the Mandalorian, you know, Din and Cara Dune would have a fucking conniption fit if they were forced to kill a bunch of rebel commandos or worse, innocent villagers are trying to fight for their freedom. Like Kara's going to sit there and a sniper rifle and just watch the Mando have to paste 30 rebel commandos or 30 innocent. Try Like that's an interesting it, it, moral conundrum. Right. It's drama. But that is drama. Leave, you are, you are leaving the Saturday morning matinee yeah. 
Flash Gordon, you know, but if you make them pirates, you don't have to worry about it. You can just kill them all and nobody's going to ask questions. Why are they there? What are they trying Fair. to accomplish? The adults are asking, but you know what? The 13, 14 year olds and certainly the eight year olds aren't asking that question. They hear pirates and like, yeah, no can kill an unlimited number of them. It's a video game. For sure. Uh, Ooh, what if there's a competing Imperial faction? That's another way they could have done it. They okay. introduced the fact that Moff Gideon is just maybe the most powerful <laughs> or like, because like, yeah, the Empire falls to shit. There'd be tons of Moffs with their own agendas trying to like take over big fragments of it and scrap together. Why couldn't there be like fighting, in, intra-fighting amongst the Imperials? Um, so yeah, I know. Like, then you got Imperial on Imperial. That'd be kind of cool too. Surely like Hess knows nothing about Gideon's plans, right? I, I doubt they're like all on board and, and, in the the loop when it comes to over oh, yeah, making is, is these. Moff at the tippy top of or is Admiral Thrawn that they've talked about like you know is he at the tippy top it, is is there that pyramidic of a structure is that their hierarchical structure or is it just like you know this this thing has been flattened this power structure where like you said all these factions are just is Snoke I, I is got Snoke that running things on. right now is Snoke already is he come out of the clone pit pits of, of, of uh, Palpatine and is starting to puppet things I, I don't know the timeline yeah. on that but maybe I mean it's 15 years early but you know Snoke looked like he'd been around and of course he's also a clone like that's yeah who the fuck knows let's not think yeah. too hard about it <laughs> for sure uh, so they make it into this Imperial base and they find a terminal and the officers, officers mess uh, unfortunately there's a guy that Mayfeld used to work with named Valen Hess in the room and Mando decides, okay, well, if Mayfeld can't go in, I got to go in and access the terminal myself. And he has to take his helmet off in the process because uh, it's got to scan his face. So over the course of this uh, adventure, Hess gets suspicious and starts asking Mando some questions. So Mayfeld comes in to answer him and saves Mando's bacon. Uh, unfortunately, then Hess invites them for a drink. So I have a couple of questions about this scene, like a couple of minor ones and then maybe a major discussion we can have. Well, first off is like, am I crazy or do I remember in the end of season one that the Mandalorian and uh, Moff Gideon have a bit of personal history? Um, like I thought that like when he was outside the canteen or whatever, tan- uh, uh, taunting, um, you know, Mandalorian and uh, the Mandalorian and, and Cara Dune and uh, I can't remember. Grief and and. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Baby Yoda. And, and, yeah. Yeah, Baby Yoda and shit the the uh, IG11 might have even been there too. Yeah. Uh he I thought he he had some personal information he taunted them all with. Like he had some kind of knowledge of them. Um Sounds and then right. I didn't think much of it, but then the Mandalorian goes to an Imperial scan um code terminal, takes off his helmet and is facial scanned and is this like a is this hint that the Mandalorian did some, it was an ex Imperial did some Imperial work in his past. It's a good question. Um, like why would this system allow him after a facial scan to access anything? Unless right, he were in the Imperial database as an ally of some kind. Or is it, is it supposed to, you're supposed to understand that this is more of like a security thing where it's like, it just logs a person's photos so that people can go back. Like, I don't know why in a galaxy, you know, with, with the technology that he got, they couldn't do, like biometric kind of like a soft code thing. Well, they clearly do um, because Cara Dune would have her face scanned and recognized as a Republic Marshal. So like you would think they absolutely think. have the facial recognition technology. What they don't do apparently is scan you to make sure that you are in the database 
as an imperial yeah. they just scan you to make sure you're not in the database as a rebel like yeah if you're a registered rebel then that's no good but a mandalorian who's never been registered because he's never shown his face he just like is a blank but it could also be a, a measure that like where they take up and i'm wondering like they take a picture of the code like yeah why do they even need mayfield because the mandalorian could just walk up there and you know put in a stick and take his helmet off and get access it didn't seem like he needed codes or whatever um, but yeah, yeah. maybe the, the other thing is it's just, it's a security measure after the fact that like, you know, if you, it, it, it's, it's, it's part of an audit log and Moff Gideon's going to do what with that? Because it's not like the Mandalorian has a secret identity. I mean, he's he sends a him a taunting message at the end of this, right? Like he's, right, he's just a kid, but, right? As far as, but it's, 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 he's not like Batman. And if no. Moff Gideon finds out he's actually Din Jajaran, that like, that's going to compromise him right like he's just a mandalorian that never takes his face off or never takes his mask off right everybody knows he's a mandalorian and he's been a mandalorian since he was a baby or or a very young child so like yeah what's yeah, yeah what could he possibly reveal by that so i, I don't think I, you're supposed to think too hard about any of this stuff it's mm. just like the tension here is are they going to get access to this data and however it happens, okay. whatever they want to write here is just how it goes. Okay. Cause I was thinking like, Oh, maybe they're going to introduce some kind of like ex Imperial stuff or, you know, is this going to be something that's screwed, but I, I couldn't really figure it out. The other thing is something I, I noticed that Alan Sepinwall had a problem with in his reviews. He thought that the Mandalorian taking his mask off is fairly anticlimactic. And as a person who grew up in a re- huh. weird religious cult himself, I found this to be a very natural outcropping of someone who like is, you know, like if you've been told your entire life that your honor, your masculinity, your worth as a warrior is tied into this armor and you're wearing it. The first time you take it off is, you know, like in duress, you're probably expecting to lose all that. Yep. And you know, like the first it's like it's it's harder to break that that first rule. And then when you find out that, oh, shit, lightning didn't fall from heaven. I still, you know, am I'm still capable of having honor and holding my and, and protecting the people that I love and and keeping my word that like this looks almost like this mask thing is a silly deal. And as he gets exposed to other Mandalorians that don't have any problem with it, like I felt yeah. like. It, it is like it, it would be weird if he just took his helmet off and like, well, I'm just done. Like, hey, turns out I can just take my helmet off and I'm just done with it. Um, you know, he is violating his his culture's norms, but it felt like that's exactly how it would go down. And then he, you know, what did you think? Yeah, I love how it's how the the belief, you know, the, the believer in him, uh, this faith is tied to this physical aspect of their religion, which you know, it is it, a lot of physical aspects of religion, crosses, rosaries, um, uh, a lot of stuff goes along with those. Um, but once you're, yeah, forced to, in a moment of dress, like you said, give up or at least temporarily suspend that portion of your belief, um, how does it change you? What cracks in your belief system does that open? And how long does it take before those cracks turn into holes? that you can now see yeah. the world through. Um, yeah. And I think th- they started this smartly with Bo-Katan back, you know, a few episodes mm-hmm. ago um, where she's just like, yeah, we're, we're Mandalorians too. And we take our helmets off. You're, mm-hmm. you've got this weird hang up that's given to you by just the particular sect of this belief system that you were, you know, not born into, but taken into. Um, 
yeah, as someone who has personal experience with that uh, and, and knows people like you who who did strongly believe those things, uh, it, you know, you've you've told me experiences about how your first experience with like particular thought patterns or books in particular are, are like moments that didn't change your worldview, right? But they opened those cracks. They they said, okay, they, they put question marks after everything. It was, um, a, it was a continuum of like, it wasn't just like you go through this moral event horizon and just be like, oh, fucking Katie barred a door. Like the, the horse is out of the barn. Who cares now? It's more of like, oh God, that yeah. was scary. I'm going to go back. But then like in the back of my mind, well, shit, that, maybe that's not the, uh, maybe I've been lied to my whole life kind of. Or, or did doing that make me a worse person? Like yeah. that hasn't changed anything fundamentally about me. It's just simply right. a thing that I wasn't doing before that now I do. And so. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think they're doing a lot of fairly smart stuff and it's very subtle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, despite, despite Mayfeld here talking about the lines you don't cross and how things get messy and you suddenly bend your rules. There's a lot of that, but even the stuff they're doing around the physical, just taking his helmet off is pretty subtle and pretty smart. Yeah. And it also that scene reminded me a lot of, uh, there's a, a scene in the upcoming release of the expanse where Amos Burton, um, who's kind of a Mandalorian type character himself is talking to somebody and someone says, you can't judge a person by what they do when they're trying to make rent. And Amos said, actually, yeah, you can. Yeah. Cause he's thinking like maybe you steal a mouth of bread Maybe a steal five dollars from a rich person, but but they're also like you know you can sell children into slavery, you yeah. can murder innocent people, like you can judge you can judge people by a lot. You can and be. I murdering. thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I felt like that that was um, you know it, it May, Mayfield felt a lot like Han Solo that he is this guy who thought that the universe is bereft of people doing the right thing that ever you know like he's firmly believed in one thing and then he saw the other side and it's full of shit and. The idea that, you know, you can be kind of a good guy just kind of out here in the galaxy that never occurred to him before um, to make a clean break with this past. I thought all that stuff was was really interesting. Um, yeah, we should talk about that scene because um, we, we get a quick shot of of. I want to really because like this yeah. always comes up whenever we talk about that. Like if you want to know like the cult background, uh, baldmove.com slash about. We got a whole series of Q&A and podcasts if you want to delve into that. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's more really good stuff here and we can get some background on, on Mayfeld, uh, in this next scene there, there's, there's Karen Finnick, uh, up on the hilltop, just kind of scouting the place out. Um, very quick scene. And then we go back to Hess drinking with the, the heroes, right? Or, you know, whatever Mayfeld is, um, Mayfeld can't keep him, his thoughts to himself on this operation, this mission that he went on or was, was part of, or, or was just there for, I'm not sure of his involvement, but it's Operation Cinder, uh, where a lot of people, five to 10,000 Imperials, plus a bunch of freedom fighters, were just destroyed when when Hess did some really heinous shit. Uh, and, and you know, he, he can't keep his thoughts to himself, so he ends up shooting this guy. And, you know, they, they're chased out onto the ledge, they're chased up to the rooftop where Boba Fett comes by with the slave one and picks them up while Kara and Finnick are, are holding the stormtroopers off their back. Um, there, there's a, a pretty good scene, which is the turn with Mayfeld here where Hess is, t- mm-hmm. is just an unwashed, unrepentant asshole um, thinks, you know, that there, there's some greater good. The Imperials are doing uh, around providing order in the galaxy. You know, it's, it's star Wars shit. It's, it's a philosophy that we've seen from them. Um, and, and Mayfeld, 
having seen the destruction that took place there firsthand, uh, can't tolerate that worldview anymore. And he put he puts a blaster bolt in this guy. And I think that to me is interesting because apparently this Operation Cinder thing is part of <laughs> this whole contingency plan. I think it's called the contingency in Star Wars that the Emperor had for when he was dead. It's just it's just slash and burn everything. Just the the Imperials have failed to protect me and keep me alive, so fuck them. We're we're taking them out. Uh, the rebels obviously have, have done their deeds and killed me. So fuck them, take them out. And this was part of that whole thing, uh, which was executed right after the battle of Endor. And, and that to me betrays like the difference between some true philosophy where you just sort of believe in the thing. And then this maniacal demagogue worship, uh, of the emperor, because at that point, like you're killing your own people, right? There is no more mm-hmm. the greater good order. Now it's you're just instilling chaos in the galaxy. And even right. the heinous shit that I think that I, the, the stuff that I label as heinous about the Imperials falls apart in that moment where they're destroying themselves. It, it just mm-hmm. just because their emperor died, like that's that's not a reason. Like you are worshiping that god at that point. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it was chilling. It's, it's also the rare imperial officer that has like a southern draw. Usually, they got the like the you know the the prissy uh, English kind of uh, very kind of kind of posh accent. That was a deliberate choice. Like Lucas wanted the the bad guys to be kind of like these arch, you know, prim and proper villains, and the rebels were the ones that kind of had the the American accents that were a little bit more Yankee doodle dandy uh so i thought yeah. it was interesting that they broke with that tradition for this guy it's not the first time they've al- they've also had other uh imperials that that didn't didn't exactly do that but i, I thought that was interesting um, yeah and i like the stuff with I, I, uh with mando too um where he you know puts his helmet back on and, and mayfeld's like i never saw your face uh you right. did what you had to do uh you know, this is Mando making exceptions. This is, this is my big question coming out of this is how far will they go with this? Will they take mm-hmm. this all the way or will they take this really dark? I, I seriously doubt they're going to take this super dark where Mando suddenly mm-hmm. is committing atrocities on the scale of Operation Cinder or something. But like, right. are they going to take Mando all the way from Mandalorian to non-believer, right? Or just like, right. do yeah, where are they going to go with that? I'm super curious. I do think eventually, like probably the next season, they'll find a way to have him off with his helmet off more often than not. He'll be kind of like more of a reasonable Mandalorian, but it'll take time. You know, like I said, I think yeah. as much as like uh, Alan Sepinwall had a problem with the fact that it wasn't like a binary on off switch, I would have had a problem the opposite direction if he's just like, yeah, fuck it. I got to I guess I got to take my helmet off. So even though that's the thing, it's like his faith says, like, once you take it off, you can't ever put it back. It's not like you can't take it off. You can take you can leave the path anytime. Uh, you just can't like once you do, you can't get back on. Um, but yeah. also, there's not lightning that falls from heaven if you do. So what does that mean? Uh, I mean, this Especially is this is cult shit, right? Like exactly. they tell you not to read uh, the literature from other religions. Don't go seeking out right. uh, so that sort of information. Twist it up, and they say you can't do it, right? You can't do it, mm-hmm. uh, and if you do it, it's an awful, horrible thing. Turns out, once you do it. You can you can just turn your brain off and go right back to what you yeah. were doing before. 
it's not a light minor switch. infractions and stuff like you know if you uh, you can't uh smoke or whatever and you have your first cigarette and it turns out i i, I didn't turn evil i'm not infested yeah. by demons or and whatever. i hated smoking and i'm not gonna go back to it so i guess yeah. i'm just still in this thing yeah, yeah. I do want to, a couple of other things I thought were funny is that uh, this all, this action all happens in the officer's mess. And I'm like, oh, come on. Like, isn't, shouldn't these officers be th- throwing shit at these stormtroopers walking into their private mess hall? But they established that both of the, the tank, the, the juggernaut drivers were like, uh, uh, um, Bill Burr identifies himself. Mayfield identifies himself as a lieutenant, and he says, "This is my commanding officer." So they got they got officers crewing these transport stuff. Like, wow, <laughs> you'd huh. think that's like the kind of enlisted type stuff that you would do. Yeah. Um, but then you know, I guess uh, uh, it, it's funny. It's like they, I, I thought that I was going to get him in one thing, but it like, turns out, yeah, apparently everyone's just an off. It's like it's like a a federation vessel where like ever everyone's a fucking officer. Um, also, did you catch the reference to TPS reports? No. Yeah, as Mayfield is trying to get him away, say, hey, we got to go fill out those TPS reports so we can uh, change oh, out the reactors. It's a, a office, office space, space gag, which huh. I thought was pretty funny. I like uh, that they had Mayfield use his uh, sharpshooting abilities before we left him. He, he I, takes out that yeah. Right yeah, they didn't need him for that, but he distinguished himself. Um, my yeah. question is... I do think he had a bit of a change of heart. Like he, yeah. he, he didn't quite buy his own bullshit. Uh, but also, do you think in the back of his mind, he thinks like, Hey, if I blow up this Imperial facility, that's going to look really good to Marshall Dune over here. He's got a thing for her, right? Am I wrong about that? I don't think he has a thing. I think he's just busting her ovaries <laughs> hmm. or lady balls. Like when he's like, you know, oh, you're I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah, when he say no. If she she gave him the raised eyebrow, but like a Why? thing, I don't really? know. Yeah. It, it, either way, they don't make anything of it. Uh, I, I will say also the weapon that Boba Fett uses, uh, Slave One weapon, these seismic charges are super cool. I mean, they look amazing. Yeah. The and, Banjo Kablooies is what I like to call them. <laughs> if you don't remember, he, well, he didn't use these. Django uh, used these back in Attack of the Clones. When Obi-Wan was falling into Geonosis. Uh, Gave him a real hard time in that asteroid field with those sonic. I think they're sonic mines canonically. Yeah, they're um, like seismic charge sort yeah. of things. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's a really cool action scene uh, when it happens in the movies. So mm-hmm. I like seeing those again. So after they they get to safety, um, Carr decides to let Mayfield go and Mando... We find out wanders off coordinates. Into, yeah. Does he just wander <laughs> off into the jungle? Like, okay, great. I'm on an oppressed, uh, primitive hut world with no plausible way out other than walking back to the Imperials. So I guess it's better. I mean, it is objectively better than the penal planet he was on. But, yeah, they uh, could have given him a ride. I don't know. Maybe I he's learned so. in well, his labor camp crew. days to. Oh, you got, crew? You got a nice. You got a nice crew going on here. You got the, you know, you got the the big bad Boba. You got the Finnick. You got Kara. You got the Mandalorian. You got Grogu. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. you got you got a you got an honest to god crew. If you you bring a, a, another guy on that you can now trust, and maybe he feels a certain amount of gratefulness to you. And if you know if he steps out of line, you can always throw him back in prison. <laughs> Fair. So I mean, maybe that happens after you know Boba Fett uh, makes good on his pledge. And goes or, off to do his maybe own thing, and he needs like a, a ship. A week, 
Uh, I was thinking, like, also maybe May, uh, a, a week from now he gets trench foot or whatever the Star Wars equivalent in the jungle and just dies. He dies of dengue <laughs> fever and, and space malaria. And sure, the last have, episode. Have those, those stormtroopers have to go through, like, a round of six shots to protect you from all the bad shit that can eat you on this planet, and he just didn't have any of that stuff. So yeah, why would news. he? Don't drink the water. Don't drink the water, Bill. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, so Mando did get the coordinates to Gideon, and then we see Gideon getting a message from Mando telling him, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for Grogu. That's my baby. I mean, isn't this a wild thing to do? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> like, like Alan Seppenwall said, he's like, he, it's like a, like, uh, it's a sick wrestling promo, which I thought was funny. It's like, what are you going to do yeah. when Mando mania blast all over you, Gideon? I'm coming for you. Like, why would you do this? Like, I guess it's not a surprise that he would, but I, I don't think that, I don't know that Moff Gideon necessarily assumed that like Mando had fallen, uh, you know, has, 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 is now yeah. loves this thing. Like his, like his child, um, he might think, well, you know, the bounty hunter, he's trying to hold this or he had a better offer. Or he has, has some other inscrutable. But now going like this, this is the most important thing in the universe. And I'm coming for you and you better expect that. The, like, why would you do that? Other than it, the fact that this is a sun, Saturday morning cereal that you're not really supposed to take too serious. Right. I mean, that's the real reason. Uh, it's also hilarious, though, that now Gideon knows he has an excellent hostage as well. It's not just that he yeah. has, you know, potentially the, the unlocking of the the force clones whatever he's trying to do but like yeah now he's got a hostage put a gun to baby grogu's head and oh that's going to happen it's going to put a mm-hmm. gun to baby grogu's head and it's going to be put a dark saber bad. to it speaking of grogu didn't get it didn't get a sniff of baby yoda this episode i think this is the yeah. only episode of the mandalorian that you do because like even in the first episode you saw his like little claw popping out like there is not no no little tiny hand in a, in a blue glowing manacle nothing nope. Nothing. No, no shot of him l- lonely and afraid. And I thought we'd get that, like him kind yeah. of whimpering in a cell to like really, you know, make us make us really want to get Moff Gideon's ass kicked up between his ears. But nope, no Grogu at all. Saving it all for the finale. I, I don't even know where they go with the finale because like because do- I, I don't think it's too quick for them to just say, OK, well, they got to Gideon now. So they're fighting to get Grogu back. No, too soon. It it would seem. I mean, I look. I'm not going to set expectations to just be dashed. But yes, yeah, yeah. Like even with a a monster for this show standard 60 minute episode, it's going to be hard to catch up and assault a you know a sawed off star destroyers worth of dudes. Yeah. Even with this badass, I mean, I'm, I can already see like how amazing it's going to be for both of these everyone fighting at full their full potential. But still, uh. There has to be. I I I think like, what is the plan here with the the calling them out with the wrestling promo? There's there's like you're gonna bait him into making a mistake. Like the mistake I, would be to leave your heavily defended impregnable starship. Like so. Yeah. What, I, yeah. It's like what what's the angle here? Like I I feel like Cara Dune is gonna get involved. Like break, call in some of the New Republic right now that she's a marshal. Uh, call them in to put them on the hunt of Gideon too because they want their they want his ass. 
That's true. And also you already had the, you know, uh, the, the X-Wing Marshall, mm-hmm. Marshall X-Wing was already talking about how they're, you know, looking for a case to prove the Imperial remnant is active. Like she's got a hell of a case. She saw the refinery. She, the, you know, they got firsthand testimony of the fact that these guys have got something big planned with the heavy explosives that they're going to do something that makes Operation Cinder look like, uh, I don't know what he exactly a Star Wars firecracker. Uh, they got Moff Gideon that's stolen this high midichlorian dude and like you know, doing experiments with them. Like, yeah, you might be right. Like, that would be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like a New Republic strike strike team coming in and and joining forces. That that yeah, but but still like and use an it hour. as a distraction or something. You... I yeah, it's, it's yeah. a good question. I don't know, man. I feel like it might be a close call, and but I I do feel like you, yeah, we're gonna it's gonna be a while before baby baby Yoda's back in the the arms of uh, the Mandalorian unfortunately yeah and we could be totally wrong but uh we'll see we'll see in one week yeah uh we have feedback this week you know people send it in to sure. mando at baldmove.com they send those uh hyperspace messages and, and we receive them you can also discuss it with your fellow fans at forums.baldmove.com if you care to first up brett h i know you guys haven't watched the animated clone war series not all of it i have watched all four of those mandalorian episodes and i've watched a couple others as i've had time but uh yeah not certainly not all seven episodes of that and rebels or seven seasons i hadn't either but i kept hearing about easter eggs and and more backstory and some of the things that we were seeing in the mandalorian so i did a google search on important clone wars episodes so i didn't have to watch all 120 of them uh in the second season a young boba fett tries a couple of times to kill mace windu we never see Mace die and return Revenge of the Sith. Could we see an exiled Mace answer Grogu's call? I would assume he would know who Grogu is. Then when he does, Boba Fett is faced with the dilemma of avenging his father or maintaining his promise to Mando to help retrieve Grogu from Moth Gideon. Seems to uh, Moth Gideon. Uh, seems too perfect. I'm not sure how they kept Sam Jackson's involvement a secret, but a Star Wars fanboy can dream, eh? Uh, You're not wrong. We didn't. We didn't see. You're right. You we see saw him electrocuted him, and then fall. His hand gets cut off. He gets electrocuted and then blown out of a Coruscant window, which we've seen multiple Jedi's in that movie series get blown out of Coruscant high high skyscraper windows and be okay. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, you've seen you people got a chopped in half. You've seen people fall down uh, shafts all the time, and they come back. So why not? Did they did did anyone know about Tamaria Morrison before the season started up? Because I wonder how hard it would be to keep Sam Jackson's involvement. Like if he just came in to film a a cameo or something. Or you know, the thing is, since we got so little time, this could be a next season plot. Even yeah, yeah. I, I actually think it's got and it'd be cool as hell. And it makes uh, total sense for Boba Fett. Like he's gonna hold a yeah. grudge, right? Like he killed his dad. You know, it's, right? It's it's a thing. Plus, you know, the clone, the, the, the prequels are like 20 years ago, the timeline, like, uh, Sam Jackson aging naturally into the role, I think would, uh, you know, that, that would actually, uh, work somehow. Here's how you keep it a secret though. Um, they kept baby Yoda a secret remarkably, like nothing of baby Yoda leaked, no matter how cute Sam Jackson turns out to be, uh, 20 years on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, they, they can keep him a secret if he's digital. So you don't have to bring Sam Jackson back. You can just make a digital version of him. Then there's no actor to leak anything. There's no pages. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the key with Grogu. He didn't have a trailer. 
on a studio back lot. He wasn't going right? driving in and no out. No makeup of, you know, person the, the, says, hey, yeah. I did up uh, Mace Windu's scar tissue. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got Frank Oz's right hand. You got to keep it quiet. And that's. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, now who have we, do we know who I, I need to finish all of the behind the scenes on this but like do we know because I know sometimes Grogu's a puppet and sometimes he's a CG thing mm. most of the time he's I a puppet is it's not Frank running that is it he's old Frank Oz yeah, Frank Oz is a million years old if not if not recently dead oh my god did Frank Oz die no surely not no he's he's yeah he's 76 he's only 76 years old oh wow. that's younger than Ooh. I expected yeah, I thought he was older in Empire, but he must have been kind of like in his 30s, I guess. Um, that checks. Because yeah. all the Henson crew was pretty young back in the 70s, you know, like that was kind of a motley hippie crew. So for sure, uh, maybe he is. Maybe that is the the right hand of Oz up uh, baby Grogu's bunghole. Uh, let's see. Charles. Hey, fellas, I love all your numerous podcasts. Thanks, Charles. Appreciate it. Just thought I'd weigh in with some fun facts regarding a couple of copper copper couple of minor gripes that you had with the tragedy episode of Mando. While I agree it's dumb that Boba and Mando bend over to shoot their rocket, it is actually a little Easter egg and lets you know the double Fs are just putting the toys they grew up with on their screen. The old Boba Fett action figure would have to bend over to shoot his rocket. <laughs> now, I, I remember watching a couple years ago the toys that made us, which is this like Netflix show, and they, they went in all about the Kenner thing. And my understanding was this Boba Fett like uh, jetpack that actually launched was like a prototype that never actually got made till years later. And hmm. I, I don't, I maybe if you bend him over, that's what actuates. But I thought it had a little switch on his back, you know. Yeah, but to aim him at anything, you'd have to bend him over, right? Well, yeah, I, I guess. Oh, it's but, just shoot straight uh, up in the air. Right, right. But that's not like because Boba Fett had to. Uh, I mean, I, I if if true or to the extent that this is true, that is kind of cute and charming. Yeah. Uh, but I will maintain it does make the grown ass men doing it look ridiculous. <laughs> so sure. Um, but anyway, also the I was aiming for the other ship is an homage to Magnificent Seven when James Coburn was congratulated for shooting a writer as he flees and says I was aiming at his horse. Hmm. Uh, I saw that and I like I I don't know I. Uh, I think that I've seen this particular joke six or seven times in movies and television shows to establish yep. like a kind of a sloppy or, or gone slightly to seed badass uh, in exactly the same way they do it in the Magnificent Seven. So I, I didn't mention it, but I, enough people did that I thought, well, I might as well. Um, he also didn't accidentally shoot someone's horse and the other horse creamed into it and blew them both up. It's it's yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean, that uh, might be the genesis of that joke. Yeah. True. True enough. Uh, Josh F says, shame on the people fat shaming Boba Fett. I guess I'm included in that. I feel like as a husky guy myself, I get to I get to poke fun at uh, 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 people. But I'm not even poking fun. I just think it's cool. Like, uh, you know, uh, thick Boba Fett, I think, is is like Tamara Morrison, even as a middle aged man with a little bit of a punch is looks looks powerful. Yeah, you know, sure. And I, I grew up in an era where heavyweight boxers kind of looked like him, mm-hmm. you know, like, you, you, you know, you got show muscle and go muscle. And if you got like sub 5% body fat, you're not going to be able to last 10 rounds with some guy pounding on you mm-hmm. uh, and exerting. You, you got to have those fat stores. So like, yeah, I wasn't really uh, making fun of him. But he says that there's some people that um, uh, were really, I guess, upset online about the fact that Boba Fett had gotten fat. But like, eh, you know, it happens. Still a badass. 
Uh, still got the Besker, still got the jet pack, still got the rocket pack, still can fucking wreck shop with a gaffy stick. So, um, but I, I guess that's the point is like, how did he get that well-fed spending his time in the belly of a Sarlacc and wandering the desert? Yeah. Fair question. Uh, but he did look at Jabba. Jabba wanders the desert fat as shit. Gamorrean guards spend time with the Jabba's palace fat as hell. True. Uh, 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 yeah, I feel like there's a lot. There's a lot of tubbies, a lot of tubbies on, on Tatooine. There, there's there's the, the empire sure, uh, the empire always the empire always uncle. publishes the top 20 fattest planets you know kind of like you, you always see the americans like like tatooine's always at the top of the list there's just poor eating habits those moisture farmers yeah uncle they owen afford uncle, yeah. uncle owen not a skinny uncle man owen. he's sucking moisture out of the atmosphere to survive <laughs> he's still tubby so come on i think he's pumping the he's 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 he's, he's uh he's pumping the moisture out like you know he's like he, when you get that much girth that much robes you, you generate the moisture yourself sure the moisture you know, farmers need something he, he needs, to, to get he's a moisture collector in his crotch i guarantee there's some there's some swamp Jesus. that can be that can be dehumidified there as a as a hefty oh, yeah. man that lives in a in, in a hot uh, in a hot summertime climate myself, I, I would mean, of think course, I guess it's dry in the desert. The, the underwear tech in Star Wars would be much better than it is now. Like that moisture wicking fabric would be on point. But but then there's the counterexample of Mayfeld who has to put on a soggy stormtrooper outfit because it's true. The driver just is a moist man apparently. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what um, they're doing with the moisture. The moisture mechanics in this universe don't add up. That's my biggest gripe about straight. Star Wars. Damn straight estuary planet got estuary estuary cro- groins. Show me the show uh, me the land on the estuary planet. <laughs> uh, Josh F concludes: We should just enjoy our thick boy Boba while we have him, and also it makes Boba Fett easier to cosplay. Damn straight, damn straight. I actually think this is a really cool cosplay opportunity. I like the kind of slightly robed turtle, mm-hmm. like sloppy turtleneck, but still recognizably badass Boba Fett. That's like it, yeah. Yeah, it's also that man. It's, that's actually kind of smart because you got a lot. You know, a lot of uh, I'm in like the first generation of Star Wars fans. We're getting old, getting out of shape. Mm-hmm. We don't. I don't, don't want to suck in my gut where I'm wearing Boba Fett armor. Yeah, I want. I want a. I want a, ba- I want a bathrobe that I just strap a vest onto, hang out my gut, and just kind of walk around and menace people. That's what I want to be able to do with my cosplay. I'm. I'm with you, Josh. <laughs> Moving on to Chris from Melbourne. Just want to point out the poop technology that Fett has installed in mm. Finnick Shand already exists today in or right now in today's society. Uh, he linked to a converse uh, to a, a, a e-zine called the conversation.com and the title of this article is blending science art and other excrement. Uh, Belgian artist Wim de Voyle's cloaca is a machine that simulates the human gastrointestinal system and a full-scale version is located in the Museum of Old and New Art, the Mona, in Tasmania, Australia. The machine is fed a regular human meal, think like a sandwich and a Coke, each day by the museum cafe, and like clockwork at 2 p.m. every afternoon, it defecates, Mm. takes a dump, drops the kids off at the pool, takes a shit, whatever you want to call it. You need to get to the exhibit about 30 minutes before if you want to get a front-row seat for the action... The evacuation action. It's museum's most hated piece of art, but also the most visited. Uh, <laughs> I, I this like, thing... first of all, that you called it Australia uh, when we're talking about the excrement <laughs> machine that they've created. Yeah, I was ahead of the joke. I was ahead of the joke wave on it, Jim. God. 
Yeah. So apparently Fed just in, in, uh, put a scale because this thing is looks like a nightmare. It looks like some kind of blend of H.R. Geiger's alien queen technology plus, I don't know, a soft serve machine. It is really gross. You know what I'm uh, picturing? And I kind of want to see it. I kind of uh, want to see it. I'm picturing a more viscous, uh, a more earth toned version of the water clock that they have at the Children's Museum in Indianapolis. <laughs> in Indianapolis? Yeah, yeah. You're not at. Yeah, click on this link. You're not far off. There's a lot of chambers and a okay. lot of hose, a yep. lot of fluids going back and forth. It's uh, <laughs> and it does make what looks like human shit at the end. And it tells I gotta time. Say. So and it tells time. Yeah, right at two o'clock. Yeah, you wish you had bowel movements that regular. <laughs> you wish. You wish. Two p.m. like clockwork. Uh, okay, Tyler. I had to write back for this season of Mandalorian because of how hilarious this podcast has been regarding Star Wars and your commentary in the universe as a whole. Appreciate that. Oh, yeah. As a movie-only fan, I've experienced many of the di- my diehard Star Wars friends lecture me on how I should watch all of the Clone Wars cartoons and other Star Wars things to be a true fan. Gatekeeping and to, bullshit. And to enjoy Mandalorian to the fullest. I, alongside many others, do not have time for this particular lore and have still highly enjoyed The Mandalorian without that knowledge. Have either of you felt the need to read slash watch more to get the most out of the show? No. No. Emphatically, no. Now, I have done it because I think that's the expectation and I do enjoy personally because I remember like when I saw that thing like, oh, yeah, this is the juggernaut thing. And I remember seeing that in the role playing game and I wonder what the backstory is. That stuff that personally interests me, I think is cool. But I got to say. I'm not don't feel like my enjoyment of the series was improved by watching a couple of hours of the Clone Wars. Um, and I'm not saying like, look, because here's the thing. Um, it's you definitely know. I think you, you it's almost like spoiling yourself because the more you know about the Mandalorians and his Darksaber stuff and all of the Bo-Katan, the more you probably know where the Mandalorians going. Is that fun? Is that mm-hmm. a fun experience? Is it more fun than being a casual Star Wars fan and just kind of being delighted week to week by what's happening and not taking it seriously? Which path is better? I don't know. I think it's enjoyable to be. I've been on both sides of that Game of Thrones. I was a walking fucking encyclopedia for that. And I read everything. I read all the expanded material. I fucking wrote two books of my own on the subject. Uh, Star Wars, I used to be that way. Like, I'd go toe-to-toe with anybody in the galaxy on Star Wars lore up until around circa 2002 or so. And I've fallen off Hmm. a bit. Sure. But, like, I'm still enjoying the hell out of it. And I feel like I'm getting, like, it's... These aren't mysteries of the universe being unlocked on The Mandalorian is the other thing. Like, this is a very easy-to-follow show. Um, it's not much is getting past you. And like, if you don't know what the hell's going on with the dark saber, you, you will by the time you need to, you know? So, yeah, I, I do the research uh, around uh, where does my thought train take me when I see what they're trying to do with the episode. And then yeah. does, does my inclination, my, my interest in the topic, uh, direct me? Like I looked up operation cinder and some of the, uh, you know, contingency plan that, uh, the emperor had, because I think it feeds back into, how Mayfeld thinks. And that was interesting to me. And so I chased that mm-hmm. rabbit. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't go do a lot of looking for, you know, Oh, I got to look up this exact thing in clone wars. Cause it was mentioned and I saw it on Reddit and eh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, he concludes, uh, Taylor does this podcast has been my weekly favorite because I've loved hearing your hilarious comments on baby Yoda's terrible name <laughs> how he has plans to single-handedly destroy the frog people and your extremely accurate criticisms on the insane emotional problems of the Jedi. I also hope Mm -hmm. they explore more of what it means to be a normal Jedi who has emotions and attachments and can still be powerful 
That's what I'm hoping for. They're going to this Grogu business. Uh, also, uh, P.S. Harry Potter 100% fucked. I. Oh yeah. Not in, not in the movies. It's been a while since I read the books. I guess mm. I need to go read the Harry Potter and uh, the Advanced Case of Puberty. The Sorcerer's Bone. Had. Yeah. The Sorcerer's Bone. Right. Playing with his wand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can make all the jokes. Sure. So I have to I have to go revisit the universe. Nick H from Sydney. A lot, lot of Aussies in in the feedback this week. Thanks for your podcast and make my work days fly. Our our pleasure. Yeah, Nick. The Mandalorian is still the best Star Wars since the original trilogy, but I am annoyed by how crap the stormtroopers are. They mm-hmm. can't shoot straight. I suppose they never could. What's the point of their armor? They go down on one shot, and last week Boba Fett was able to smash them with a stick. Oh, wait till you see how Kara Dunn, uh, Dune takes takes two of them out just by bumping their heads against a steering wheel. Uh, they yeah. also just sit there when a boulder is thrown at them. It's starting to annoy me in what is one of the shows of the year. What are your thoughts? Man. If only you were a club member, you, uh, I, I went on a, an amazing rant. I'm going to see if I can do it, uh, uh, re- rekindle it. What, what do you think about this, this Stormtrooper heresy going on here? Yeah, I, I think it's it's to the point of, of being ludicrous. Uh, I, I don't know. Now I don't. like. Look, I never took Stormtroopers super seriously, but I did think there was a chance they could at least capture uh, you know, one of the main heroes or something. Now at this point, if you can just fist fight them, I, I don't know why I would believe any of that. Yeah, um, I I have a problem with actually just saying the stormtroopers are canonically crap because I don't think that's true. If you look at the old trilogy, first of all, clone troopers whip ass. Just can't categorically stormtrooper or clone troopers are badasses. Stormtroopers. Yeah. General Obi-Wan Kenobi, who knew what the fuck he was talking about, says they're very precise and uh, they're very dangerous. When you think of stormtroopers not killing the heroes, you think of opportunities where they have been instructed to allow the heroes to get away. If they had, if the stormtroopers had murdered Luke, Leia, and Han, and Vader wasn't able to track them back to the rebel base, they would all have been force choked to death. They were on orders to let it to make it look good, but to let them get away because they wanted to track them back to base. Empire Strikes Back, they fucked shit up. They closed down that shop. The rebels got ran out of their own goddamn gymnasium. By these stormtroopers, mm-hmm. not a problem. End of, down uh, in, end of Imperial Strikes Back again. They were luring Luke to the carbon freezer. They wanted that. Uh, they wanted that. This was a, again a, a show that they wanted to put on for Luke Skywalker to trap him. They were under orders. Uh, same thing with the Battle of Endor. The Imper- the stormtroopers are making it look good until the Emperor uh, sprung the trap. Then they started just rolling up the rebels. And the only thing that saved them was Chewbacca and a one in a million shot taking over single handedly the ATSD, getting that light armor and turning the tide of the battle. Like stormtroopers are unfairly maligned throughout the whole, you know, <laughs> and, you know, again, like you want to say that, like, oh, they got taken down by teddy bears. Look. You put on your stormtrooper ar- armor and you go up against a black bear with a fucking stone hammer and see how long you last. Okay, you know, like like yeah. Ewoks are small, but they're like ferocious animals. Canonically, I'm so not even sure I could take my house cat. Like, frankly, I've seen that's it attacking what I'm things. Saying. I'm not certain. So most most people with stormtrooper armor couldn't take out a 85 pound bobcat, and you're talking shit about w- Wicket. 
Get the fuck out of here. Stormtroopers are badass. They've been unfairly maligned. And Dave Fellini and, and Favreau and all these guys are, are taking the piss out of him because they think it's a funny joke. And ha ha. But it's, I don't, yeah. I thought so, they had gone it, too far in season one. Do you remember the scene where the Stormtroopers were shooting the shit on their speeder bikes? And uh, yes. like while Moff Gideon was doing his thing. And they literally could not hit something from five feet away. I thought, right. this this whole fucking scene sucks. Everybody was loving that scene and just like, oh, oh yeah, it's the joke. I'm like, yeah. the joke joke was never that they literally couldn't hit anything if they tried right it, it was like they're not as all they're cracked up to be if anything right and right yeah and, yeah and the other I, thing is like because what they're doing I, with I, it's frustrating because now because they've made the stormtroopers such a joke they've had to invent a new class of stormtrooper like well the old you know it's like uh, sit up and pay attention if a stormtrooper in gloss black armor shows up because they're the ones that know what to do that's what right. the stormtroopers used to be they were the crack imperial troops they had the fucking Imperials had a whole arm, you know, like uh, 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 just regular army, you know, like uh, the Stormtroopers are supposed to be the Space Marines from Warhammer 40K and the rest of the Imperial Army is supposed to be like the Imperial Guard. And they fucked that up. So now they have to have gloss black Stormtroopers. So, you know, that they're the ones that mean business. Most of this rant is in tongue in cheek because I don't take right. any of this stuff seriously. But I do think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the original trilogy to think the Stormtroopers are garbage, you mm-hmm. know. They were mostly when they were missing their shots, they were supposed to let these people go. And also you misunderstand the concept of plot armor. If they were able to fucking put one through Luke's O-ring, the, sh- the goddamn series would be over. Also kind of tar- hard to take off for sensitive people. Have you noticed that? You know? Yeah, that's uh, true. They, they, they have they have a trouble going against some of the most powerful force users in the galaxy. Luke and Leia, the name too. I don't know. It's a, it's like I said, I'm not, <laughs> this is a little tongue in cheek, but also, also you're doing, you're doing the boys in white dirty. Yeah, you know, I, I don't really care that much though. <laughs> like, if I if I was one of the five hundred one guys, the the five hundred first legion that spent four thousand dollars on a stormtrooper armor, I would be feeling really shitty about what they're doing to me on the Mandalorian. But I don't know. Maybe they maybe they love the fact that they're cosplaying as incompetent Nazis. I don't know. <sighs> All right, Will. Uh, with some of the references in chapter fifteen, so this is builds on what you told us about Operation Cinder. With some of the references in chapter 15, it seems like the Mandalorian might be loosely following the contingency plan. Now, I want if you think like if you know, you think some uh, expanded universe stuff might spoil your enjoyment of the Mandalorian. This is the last email, so you can shut it off if you don't want to hear any speculation on how these events might tie together because Will's going to kind of connect the dots for us. Uh, this might be loosely following the contingency plan storyline from the aftermath novels in the Battlefront 2 campaign, which you had mentioned. The Imperial officers reference to restoring order and Bill Burr's Operation Cinder seemed to point to this. Operation Cinder was a re- was a revenge mission by the Empire that took place shortly after destruction of the second Death Star, which used a series of satellites to literally burn planets. The contingency plan was to, uh, more drawn out and took place mostly in the third aftermath novel, Empire's End. A brief summary of the contingency plan storyline story from Empire's End. Prior to the Battle of Endor, Emperor Palpatine met with one of his top advisors, Gallius Rax. Uh, boy, you don't want to be, you don't want to be, you don't, you want to not wear your cod piece when you're around Gallius racks. It's, it's going to be bad. I, I know that storm, the armor doesn't protect against much, but you want every bit of it when you're going against, going against racks here, a Sith ac- acolyte at that, uh, in order to plan for all potential outcomes, specifically if the empire's trap on indoor was to fail, 
Rax was ordered to go to Jakku and find an observatory that would provide information needed by the remnants of the Empire to navigate beyond the Outer Rim, specifically to the Unknown Regions, presumably to find ways to resurrect the Emperor as we saw in Rise of Skywalker. Much of this information at the observ- observatory was provided by Grand Admiral Thrawn, so the reference to him a few episodes is intriguing. Okay. Another character... Okay, I'm sorry, were you about to say something? No, I was just following, okay. Okay. Another character, Grand Admiral Sloan, also plays a large role in the contingency plan. She gathers the bulk of the Imperial fleet and takes them to Jakku for a final stand in order to draw out, to draw out the remainder of the Republic forces. This final stand culminates with a Sith ritual performed by Rax and another Sith acolyte in the observatory that was meant to destroy the planet and thus the Republic fleet, which would allow the small Imperial expedition to escape to the unknown regions. This destruction of the planet was stopped. Rax was killed, but Grand Admiral Sloan escaped with the expeditionary force and set out for the unknown regions where they began to plan the formation of the First Order. I am curious if the pursuit of Grogu and his blood are part of the plan to resurrect the Emperor and if the finale shed some light on how the Mandalorian fits in with what else is going on in the galaxy. That's kind of intriguing. I thought it was more more like a Dark Trooper plus project or maybe clearly Moff Gideon wants to be Darth Vader so hard it's making him vibrate. Like maybe like a jump start for him. But like, yeah, cloning the Emperor is another kind of cool possibility. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, I think the contingency plan explains why the stormtroopers have been so ineffective in the series thus far. The bulk of the elite Imperial forces were eliminated in the final battle on Jakku, and all that's left are scattered forces more or less trying to terrorize the New Republic. Maybe just some headcanon, but it makes the stormtrooper incompetence a bit more bearable. I I mean... You take you take a Marine out of basic training, ask him if he can hit a can of beans from 15 feet away. I'm pretty sure... There's yeah. got to be a Marine or two listening to this, but it makes you pissed off just thinking about someone thinking that you can't do it, right? Sure. Like, stormtroopers, just out of basic training, should be able to hit a canteen from 15 feet away or whatever the fuck those scout troopers were doing. And I get it. Like, maybe they're not even real stormtroopers. Maybe they're Army-Navy surplus stormtroopers just wearing, because some of that armor look kind of raggedy. Um but but I don't I don't know I, I I'm still got my blood up a bit about this the stormtrooper heresy I'm seeing on this show yeah uh anything else you'd like to add to uh, uh no. Operation Cinder I hope they plan? connect those dots because they sound pretty cool and that's the other thing we didn't really talk about the fact that uh like I said you know it's been why we didn't talk about this at the beginning did we the the news we got just yesterday that. Walt Disney Corporation is just taking the lever that says Star Wars and cranking it up to 11, baby. We're going to get the Cara Dune and probably the Republic Marshals. Um, although I don't know if she pisses people off enough with her political beliefs, maybe. I, th- I thought it was interesting. They're, they got the new Republic Marshals, but her th- it wasn't Cara Dune and the new Republic Marshals. You're hmm. going to have Ahsoka with her thing. Apparently, uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi miniseries is going to get uh, uh, happening. This stuff, like, that's the thing is, like, how much of this is going to happen in The Mandalorian and how much of this you're supposed to understand is, like, setting up Thanos in the Marvel Universe where it's, like, you got, like, is is Admiral Thrawn going to be, like, the uh, uh, Thanos of the, the, the Disney, the, the Disney Star Wars side? He's, got, he's think- got almost the coloration for it, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't have enough of the, 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 the brinkly ball sack chin. That's I know, what he's missing. I know. 
But I do think it might be a mistake to think that all this is going to be resolved in the Mandalorian and that they're using the Mandalorian to do a lot of world building. Um, they for sure are. Which, yeah. you know, Marvel did that too. And it didn't, it wasn't, I don't think a detraction from it, but uh, get ready for 360 or 24, 365 Star Wars coming at you because that's what's happening. Uh, I so hope they have a more and- cohesive vision for the next 10 years than they did for the movie trilogy or, or you know the the star wars cinematic universe before this no i think five i think the double f's are in pretty good hands like you know they're the kevin fate how do you pronounce his name is it faggy phage uh i i don't know i don't know exactly like the most important thing is you have people that actually give a shit about the universe and have like you know like I don't agree with their take on stormtroopers, but it still makes me smile because that's certainly like an inside fan joke about the stormtroopers, you know? Yeah. So leaning into that is, 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 is kind of funny. Um, you know, just like when they take pot shots of how goofy Captain America's costume used to look, you know, like those are, those are things that we can all uh, laugh at and have a good time with. Um, but yeah, I, 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 but I, I don't, the the real open question is how much appetite do people have for this? Because Mm -hmm. Marvel could get three or four movies out a year for a decade and everybody couldn't get enough, but that's what 10 to 12 hours of content. We're talking 300, you know, like, like 50, 60 hours of content every year for the rest of our lives. I don't know. I, I honestly yeah. don't. I, I there's, that's, that's unprecedented. It's like, you want to, you want a model that looks like that. You got to go to like soap operas, man. And, you know, yeah, and if they go with that highly integrated, um, connected model, you might end up having to watch a lot of it to really get what's going on in in any of it. And that's scary when you have that much content. Yeah, I think they're smart because like I never felt that way. I watched almost I did watch all the Marvel stuff, but I felt like you could you could like miss Thor two and and you could miss Iron Man two and three and you could miss certainly the Incredible Hulk. You didn't have to see them all to get because like most m- movies did a good job when they the first fifteen minutes familiarizing yourself with the stuff you might have missed, introducing new characters. Like everything kind of was severable. And I think if Star Wars is smart, they'll do that because like I don't know that everyone's going to be interested in all the stuff they're doing. You know, yeah, I think about like uh, the Avengers stuff. Um, I never saw the Ant-Man movies. And so like the later Avengers stuff, definitely. I wasn't in on all the jokes. I was definitely not up on all of it, but they did a good enough job to just tell me here's what here's what they're going to do. Yeah. And and here are the powers of Ant-Man here, you know. Yeah, and and you know, like uh, mostly, Ant Man serves as a visual gag. You know, when he's big, it's hilarious. <laughs> sure, and when he's small, he's hilarious. He might go up Thanos's ass and blow him up from the inside. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I think I think I'm Mandoed out. Uh, that's it for the Mandalorian. Send in feedback to Mando at BaldMove.com. The forums at BaldMove.com are also there. Uh, we will be back next week for the finale. God mm-hmm. only knows what will happen. Where, where's Grogu going to be uh, where's the Mando going to be are we going to keep Fed around for much longer um, all interesting questions we'll see what happens next week and until then I'm Aaron and I'm Jim see ya